it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks once again for your company. This week, we celebrate the life of someone who's played an extremely important part both in Blind Citizens Australia and in the RPH network. This is the full-length version of this program. Many of the clips you're about to hear come from program number 1000 and 1147 of Horizons, the program presented on behalf of Blind Citizens Australia between 1984 and 2006. I'd particularly like to thank John Simpson, Stephen Jolly and Dale Simpson for their contributions to putting this program together. Firstly, we speak to regular contributor to New Horizons, John Simpson. John, once again, thanks for joining us on the program. Good to be with you, Vaughan, although not on the uh, happiest of occasions this time. Why are we here, John? Well, sadly, our longtime friend and, as you say, someone directly involved with this program for many years, Neville Kerr, passed away on the 27th of May, Vaughan. One of the things that I really enjoy about radio is the fact that, uh, particularly in BCA, so many things are kept. And I I think that uh, it would be a timely occasion to hear about the start of New Horizons in Neville's own words. You might think back that uh, this was in the early days of the RPH service and also the early days of Blind Citizens Australia, as we call it now. And it was felt that BCA should get involved in the RPH service and make take advantage of it. And David Blythe, who was uh, one of the people in the office at the time, asked me to take responsibility for it. Now, there were a small number of programs produced before I took control, and I'm not sure how they were numbered, but sometimes the program didn't appear, people were rostered and they didn't turn up with it. So David asked me to take control and make sure it did happen. So if you want to know how it started, it was David Blythe's big idea. Horizons wasn't uh, Neville's first uh, foray into radio. Neville told the story often of his early days in radio, uh, that it began when he lived up in the Shepparton area uh, after school years and, uh, in fact, worked, I think, on a volunteer basis for the local AM station 3SR where he would take his chunky recording equipment along and do live recordings of uh, local country music concerts or dances or whatever to be part of a weekly uh, radio program that the station put to air. I can remember back before the television days and I remembered how effective radio was for the whole community in those days and that's where I sort of accepted the uh, what a great benefit it was and when television came along I thought well okay I'm blind, television's not that much use to me so let's utilise radio as much as we could. My first actual personal involvement dated back to the 1960s when I was living in Shepparton. The local radio station used to run a series of programs called Harmony Trail. Now, there were a number of concerts, live concerts, recorded all around the place. And towards the end of that series, I recorded several of these that were broadcast on the air. And I have to tell you, they sounded terrible because I had no idea of recording equipment. <laughs> had pretty crummy equipment, but that was my very beginning. And it made me realise how little I knew and how much I had to learn and how hard I'd have to work if I was ever going to do anything really worthwhile. So that was the very beginning. 
and, and of course from there he became involved uh, much later with the establishment of the Radio for the Print Handicapped uh, uh, services throughout Australia. Firstly, as part of the uh, active group of blind and vision impaired people who lobbied so hard to get those services up, but also in a very practical sense. Neville, in fact, when 3RPH got its first licence on 1629 kHz AM, Neville was uh, uh, one of the mainstays in actually physically putting the station together, building reading desks and those sorts of things. We had an idea of what we wanted, but we had no monies and virtually no expertise. I remember at a meeting, uh, we were talking about building a control desk and a reading desk. Who wants to volunteer? No voices came up and someone said, well, you can do it, Neville. I said, I don't know if I've got the skills. And someone said, well, at least you know which end of the hammer to hold, which is about all I did know. But with the help of Serge Vankowski and Alan Nusky and Robin Stevens and others, uh, we designed and constructed these things. So they were a forerunner for uh, what is now uh, in the RPH service. So when I first started to work with Neville would have been in 1986 when I became Executive Officer of then National Federation of Blind Citizens of Australia and uh, I worked closely with Neville uh, to help him source material and make contacts uh, in relation to the production of the weekly radio program which had the name of the National Federation of Blind Citizens Australia's radio program. Uh, it wasn't for some years after that that we came to the title Horizons and then, of course, more recently, New Horizons. Neville always understood the value of radio and, in particular, of experience and of hearing from people directly. So he would cart quite bulky recording equipment around to various locations, sometimes to do descriptions of, of, of major happenings, sometimes to interview key people, uh, such as uh, at one stage the Minister for Social Services, uh, Graham Richardson, in the, in the Labor government of the time. Senator Graham Richardson is the Minister for Social Security and he's my guest in this week's program, or perhaps it's more correct to say I'm his guest in his office at Parliament House in Canberra. So Senator, welcome to the NFBCA's National Radio Program and thanks for recording us this time. It's a pleasure, Neville. What can we do for you? Well, let's uh, go back a step or two. Prior to this year's federal budget... There were uh, he would uh, cart equipment uh, along with John Machen along to our annual conventions to uh, capture the proceedings uh, and, and use those in the radio programs and elsewhere. Uh, and it was always done from this motivation that radio was such an ideal medium to convey not just the cold hard information but the atmosphere uh, to a listening audience who were greatly appreciative of, of uh, his efforts at the time. This clip we're going to hear is uh, featuring Neville and uh, doing one of the things that he was very much known for, the, the audio description, and it also features uh, a much younger John Simpson. In Melbourne, the number six Glen Iris tram, usually a W-class vehicle, commences its journey at the intersection of Swanson and Franklin Street. Travelling south, it passes along the new Swanson Walk, going past the Melbourne Town Hall, St Paul's Cathedral and Flinders Street Railway Station. It crosses the Yarra River at Prince's Bridge and goes past the Arts Centre and enters the wide tree-lined St Kilda Road. It goes by the Shrine of Remembrance and the Royal Victorian Institute for the Blind. Turns left into High Street Paran and crosses Punt Road. I'm travelling on a number six tram now, which is about to arrive at tram stop number 27 in High Street Paran. Now, stops right on the top of a railway bridge. 
and we're just alighting from the tram now. Just crossing to the footpath. This is the peak period, so there's plenty of traffic about. So we've uh, stepped up the footpath, turn left, and we're walking across the railway bridge. Traffic's pouring past. And as we approach the other side of the bridge, there is a pathway which leads to the upside of the Paran railway line. This line leads into the city and about a 10 minute run would see you at Flinders Street. Now passing the corner of the building to the NFBCA. And as we approach the front door, there are tactile tiles on the pavement so that you know immediately when you've arrived at the front door. Let's go inside. Neville, welcome to our new address, 87 High Street, Paran. John, this is, uh... Before actually entering the building, John and I spent some time outside. John explained that although the building was built a few years ago, it has recently been modernised. He also told me that at 85 High Street Paran, the Royal Victorian Institute for the Blind has its talking book library. This is a fairly broad building and the entrance to the library is approximately in the middle. The front door of the NFBCA is a little to the right or towards the eastern end. John invited me in for a guided tour. Sliding door in front of us opens, takes us into a foyer area. If we were to go off to our left, we could go through there to the RVIB's talking book library. We're now proceeding upstairs. These stairs are directly in line with the door. And you can feel, Neville, that they've put the tactile tiles to indicate there that we're on the landing, and there's a turn to the left, and then we go up the remainder of the staircase. These stairs have also, Neville, got a uh, bright yellow iridescent strip on the leading edge of each step, so they're quite uh, uh, well designed for people with low vision. We're going to go back a little bit further now to hear Neville's description of part of a trip that he and a group of uh, people took, and firstly we'll hear uh, a little bit from the 1000th program of Horizons uh, about the background of that trip, and then we're going to hear uh, Neville's description of a market scene. That was recorded in Sri Lanka when uh, Ivan Malloy, together with a whole group of uh, vision impaired and sighted people, went to uh, travel to Sri Lanka to meet the local blind people over there and we played sport with them and uh, talked to them about uh, education and uh, equal opportunities and political rights and all those sort of things. And that was a description of the market which made a big impression on my mind. Most of the stallholders had all their goods in the sun Quite a lot of the stallholders had just a, a few cane baskets on the ground uh, with their produce in, with uh, the sun shining on it. However, we found a stall that was in the shade and he, he sold us some fruit that turned out to be very nice. However, in some places the fruit and vegetables weren't even in baskets, they were just lying all over the ground and it was seen to be impossible to get past without squashing bananas and various other things, I'm not quite sure what some of them were. And also in the same market there were fish mongers selling their fish. Now the fish was lying on the ground in the hot sun. This is, this is fresh fish, not packaged in any way at all, just lying on the ground. So needless to say, we didn't buy any fish. For something around close to 20 years, Neville was the live host for the evening shift from 7 to 10 on 3RPH on a Wednesday night. And, of course, that was on top of the work uh, that he was doing to produce the NFBCA program, uh, which, of course, was not only uh, uh, interviews and, uh, and live recordings, but it was actually producing it and distributing it 
on reel-to-reel uh, -reel tape. And in fact, Roberta Ashby, who was the program coordinator at 3RPH, tells the story of often Neville wandering into the station of a Sunday to make sure that the program was there on time for the following week uh, because, of course, you couldn't trust uh, the mail to have it uh, uh, in time for it to go to air. Uh, and Neville used to, uh, in close to real time, copy eight editions of the program every week to go to the various stations around Australia and uh, there were a limited number of people who got direct copies on cassette uh, uh, where the program wasn't available and he would dub those off and send them off every week. So the physical part of what Neville did on top of the creative work was just uh, uh, amazing and to sustain it for so long uh, was uh, uh, a real credit to Neville and uh, the work that he did, the dedication that he put into radio uh, both in relation to 3RPH and the RPH network and of course uh, to Blind Citizens Australia and our weekly program. And one of the things that uh, really impresses me about Neville is that almost every edition that uh, Neville recorded of the NFBCA radio program and of course uh, to become known as Horizons still exists because he bothered to archive everything and keep it and you know that's really impressive particularly if you want to go back and look through the history of the uh, the blind community over the last 40 years or so and particularly the history of Blind Citizens Australia. It is a credit to him uh, Vaughan and in fact it's something that we still rely on today. Just recently I had a request from someone looking for material about the um, creation and the introduction of audible traffic signals and wanting to uh, find some of the audio from an interview that had been done or perhaps it was a convention presentation by a fellow by the name of Cess McElwraith who was very involved in Sydney in getting that service going. And uh, all those archives are there, largely thanks to Neville's efforts in the early days. And uh, I must say, uh, credit to Dale Simpson, who has kept up that tradition for the organisation since. Neville did uh, around 1147 episodes of uh, the NFBCA radio program. And he, there were a few that he didn't do owing to illness or uh, absence, but there were 1147 episodes created. That's a huge number of episodes, uh, and uh, it's, it's a credit to the organisation, and it's particularly a credit to Neville. Let's hear from Neville now as he describes why he stopped doing the program and how things changed from the time that he started doing the program until he finished. Now, 1984 was prior to the uh, development of the internet. Now, BCI now has, of course, an internet where people can have online chats and access all sorts of information. Also, the audio magazine Soundabout wasn't going in those days. So currently, BCI has the, the internet and all its features. It has Soundabout, it has Blind Citizens News, Aspirations, and so on. But more broadly than that even... In those early days, I deliberately tried to do interviews uh, in a random pattern with other organisations like the Royal Victorian Institute for the Blind, the Association for the Blind, Guide Dog People, Royal Society for the Blind in South Australia, RBS in New South Wales and so on. Well, I'm pleased now that all of those or most of those organisations have their own regular weekly programs, so I don't have to worry about that. And also, most of the RPH stations now have their own programs that focus on disability issues as well. So there's lots of avenues around now that weren't there in those days. 
Now, the other part of the question is that I advised BCA back about three months ago that for a period starting from, well, about now, I wouldn't be able to produce the program for about three months or so. BCA did try to find one or several people to take responsibility for Horizons, but we weren't able to find anybody. That was unsuccessful. But I must also say that there might be people who would like to see continue, would like to be involved, but it's not easy to find people that have the skills and the ability and the facilities to produce a program like this. It is quite a, a tie, quite an obligation, and I've taken responsibility in the past for doing the research, organising the interviews, finding information and doing the technical work, whereas usually there's two or more people involved. One person will do the interviewing, someone else will do the technical work, just like we're working with Dale Simpson today. And we just couldn't find anybody to do that. So bearing in mind these other avenues that are available and also that uh, I've run into a couple of sort of health problems in recent times, it's been decided to let it go and to put more focus on uh, other BCI outlets, perhaps as Soundabout and uh, on the internet and so on. So I know that one in any individual format won't suit everybody, but there are those other avenues now and uh, it probably needs time for, uh, well, for me to move on. I was in a way hoping some younger people would come forward with a new burst of energy and enthusiasm, but that hasn't happened, but it's not the end of the world. So, John, hopefully that answers your question as fully as I can. John, let's move now to Neville's personal life. He uh, he wasn't just a radio presenter and a broadcaster. He did uh, many other things besides. You mentioned his, uh, his uh, handyman exploits and his uh, love of carpentry. What did Neville do for his career? Neville worked as a switchboard operator and receptionist uh, for a company that was called National Insurance, uh, I think originally an offshoot of the National Bank, Vaughan, um, and they had offices in St Kilda Road and Neville was a long-serving, I think from memory it was something like about 34, 35 years he worked uh, with that organisation as its um, as its face to the public, largely, of course, because uh, telephone communications, again, were different in those days. Neville had a fine reputation for understanding the issues that people were raising. And, of course, so often when people ring an insurance company, it's with concern or complaint in, them, in mind. Um, so he uh, had a fine reputation as, as the front person for the organisation. He had a particular little technique, uh, Vaughan, which will interest our, uh, our blind listeners and particularly the Braille readers. Of course, in the era that Neville was involved... Um, telephone extension numbers there was no in-dialing and and you didn't take the extension number with you if you moved from one desk to another so Neville had next to him in his uh, uh, booth a um, small coffee table size uh, sheet of, of metal and on that he had magnetic strips and he would simply move the relevant name to the relevant uh, extension number as people moved around or as new staff sound started and so forth. So while he was talking through his headset to someone, he could put his hand out, find out that Vaughan Benison was now on extension 289 and um, uh, introduce the call uh, appropriately as the professional switchboard operators of the time certainly did. Now, John, we know that uh, Neville was a Braille reader and that he was totally blind for much of his life, but he didn't start out that way. No, John, I had a fair amount of sight when I was in my uh, teens. 
when I was about 18, it started to deteriorate. When I was in my late 20s, it had gone completely. So I've now been blind for, oh, I don't know, totally blind for about 35 years or so. And your education? I went to the Royal Victorian Institute for the Blind, and uh, I think that was a good school, but my education was very basic, so hopefully I've learned something since those days. Again, in many ways, he had to adapt from being a a vision-impaired person who had some use of uh, of print material uh, to becoming a Braille reader and, and, uh, as we've already discussed, uh, totally reliant on Braille in many aspects of his life. And, of course, much of that would have been done before there was uh, widespread use of audio material as well and certainly uh, widespread use of computers, although it's fairly clear from uh, from Neville's discussions that he did uh, at least to some extent move into the world of computers. Yes, he did. But, uh, yes, so much of it was uh, reliant on... Um, um, <laughs> memory, uh, use of braille notes, uh, and of course in the wider domain with his recording work and so forth, as I said before, um, the use of very uh, bulky and uh, heavy uh, equipment that needed to be moved around. Neville finished doing Horizons in uh, 2006. What happened from there on? Well, of course, part of the reason that Neville uh, concluded not only his work with the BCA radio program, but more generally his radio work, was that he lived with Parkinson's disease for the last 25 years, 30 years of his life. Uh, and of course, that uh, became progressively worse. Um, many of us have kept in touch with, uh, with Neville over the years uh, since. He and uh, his partner, Tricia, um, uh, moved into supported accommodation in the inner south of Melbourne, in the Paran Windsor area. Um, I last saw Neville personally uh, uh, when Dale Simpson, my son, celebrated his uh, his birthday uh, a few years ago, and Neville was at that uh, that function. And that was shortly before Neville turned eighty, and he celebrated his eightieth birthday at a, at a function with family and uh, many of his uh, blind, vision impaired friends from uh, from over the years. Most recently, uh, Vaughan. Um, I understand that there's a group in Melbourne called the Old Timers Radio Club, and this group uh, meets in a private home from time to time. Uh, and at their meeting in April, uh, Neville, uh, although very uh, debilitated with his Parkinson's at that stage, was able to attend that uh, that afternoon function and spend time with many of the people that uh, uh, that he had gone to school with uh, and spent uh, and had contact with throughout his adult life. Neville worked for well over 25 years in broadcasting and uh, with Blind Citizens Australia, then the NFBCA and 3RPH, and he was recognised, I understand, uh, by winning the David Blythe Award from Blind Citizens Australia. Yes, that's correct, Vaughan. In 2003, the organisation honoured Neville with the David Blythe Award, which, for those who don't know, is the most significant uh, recognition that BCA offers to people who make a substantial contribution to improve the lives of Australians who are blind or vision impaired. And now let's hear from somebody who worked with Neville for well over 30 years, Stephen Jolly. Stephen, tell me about your earliest memories of Neville. My first memories of Neville were when we had yarns back in 1975 when a group of us, with the support of the Association for the Blind in Victoria, rode a tandem bike from Adelaide to Melbourne. 
Neville was one of that group, uh, and uh, we had a good time over that week, riding, as I say, from Adelaide to Melbourne. We'd do about an hour a day each, uh, and on the front was Bob Panter, who's a former uh, racing cyclist. Tell me about um, your work with Neville in establishing 3RPH and getting it all happening. Yes, Neville was very interested in the very early days, uh, apart from uh, his aptitude for doing really good radio. Uh, and as a matter of fact, just as an aside, when a group of 19 of us went to Sri Lanka with Ivan Malloy in 1981-82 to spread the word to the blind people there about cricket and other things, um, Neville had his tape recorder with him then and uh, recorded some interesting stuff. But um, in the early days of 3RPH, um, Neville was very much involved with the physical establishment. He and his brother-in-law, the late Alan Nusky, uh, designed and built the desks that were used in the studios. And these were specially designed radio desks because uh, they had to be capable of holding a page, a large newspaper page, so they were sloped. So they weren't just ordinary sort of tables that you put in a studio. They were really smart designed desks. Um, so there was that, and then in the very early days, Neville got involved in uh, the test broadcasts, as a number of us did, and he continued to broadcast. As a matter of fact, he had a weekly program every Wednesday evening for about 25 years. He did it week in, week out. Some of us uh, wouldn't be quite that dedicated. I did it every fortnight on a Tuesday for about 10 years. Um, but um, Neville was very committed. He took a few holidays from time to time, but he deserved those. He really earned them. But he was a great broadcaster and he was very creative in those programs. We used to have a segment um, just before nine o'clock called Presenter's Choice. And Neville made great use of this time. One time in 1985, he put to air a broadcast that he had recorded in his living room with his brand new compact disc CD player. So he demonstrated for us listening what these new CD things were all about. And it was amazing at the time to think that you didn't just put the record on and it'd start playing from track to track. You could skip tracks. You could turn the volume up and down on the player. You could do all sorts of things via a remote control. It was fantastic. And of course, it was the beginning of a, a new way of listening. And really, it was the beginning, I guess you could say, of a new way of broadcasting. You know, many times over the last 20 or 30 years, radio broadcasts and podcasts have been used to do reviews of equipment that is useful for people who are blind or vision impaired. And, you know, Neville certainly uh, was no stranger to, to that sort of broadcasting, as you've, you've just illustrated. One of the things that I really admire about uh, the work that he did was the creativity that he put into it and the entertainment value that he put into it. What we're going to hear now, Stephen, is the opening night of the Kuyong Studios of 3RPH. And uh, you were part of that broadcast and uh, you may very well turn up in this clip. Now, just a second. He may be. I can just hear a train coming. Well, I'm on board this train now for my first broadcast from Kuyong, so I hope the train doesn't run late or I'll be in trouble. 
Now where is it? I've got to get off. Kuyong, I think it is. Crikey, I hope I can find the way. This is Kuyong or I'm going to be late for the program. Yeah, it looks like it. I'm going to get off here anyway. Let's hope it's the right station. Uh, excuse me, mate. Can you tell me how to find 3 RPH? Yeah, oh, oh, good. Yeah, well, yes, it's... it's it's 1629 on my wireless. No, yeah. no, I don't mean that. I mean, whereabouts is, is it? I want to go there. Where? It's in Paran, isn't it? It's somewhere in Paran, they tell me. No, no, it used to be there. I've just been there and there's no one there. And somebody said it's here in Kuyong somewhere. Kuyong? Good God. Is it in Kuyong? I'll tell you what. Why don't you ask Neville Kerr? He seems to know all these things about RPH. No, no, no. Look, I am Neville Kerr and I'm on tonight and, and I've got to get there in a hurry. <laughs> well, perhaps they don't want you to find it then. <laughs> oh, that, that's that. <laughs> this might be it. Looks like plenty of action here. Yeah, this must be it. I'll go straight in now. Oh, well, good evening, everybody. Oh, crikey, I'm sorry I'm late. Good morning, Neville. Oh, well, it's not quite morning, is it? Goodness, uh, well, uh, oh, gee, I don't know, the, the trains keep waiting. I met this silly guy on the station, he gave me all these smart aleck answers. All I wanted to do was get here. Anyway, it's great to be here, but I don't know what I'm going to do about a script tonight. I haven't had time to write anything out at all. Well, it's nothing unusual, but to help you out anyway, I've, I've written one out for you, Neville. You've written one out? Oh, your writing's usually like, uh, it looks as though a flies uh, crawl over the page. How am I going to read that? Well, that's not, not dissimilar to yours. It looks like a porcupine rolled over the page with yours. Oh, thanks very much for that. Well, it's great to be here, and, uh, well, I discovered that we've got uh, Stephen Jolly and Elaine Harris in the studio tonight, so that's uh, really good. Stephen, you were the manager of uh, Victorian RPH radio service for, for quite a number of years, and uh, you and I both know that as a station manager of a service like that, working with volunteers uh, is often incredibly rewarding and sometimes very hard work. What were your standout memories of Neville as a volunteer at that time? He built very good relationships with his team members and I'm sure they extended way beyond the studio, uh, the contact he had with those people. Well, I know they did. He had some very good friends because he inspired them with his broadcasting. Um, the, Neville was also very reliable and loyal. He, his loyalty and dedication was really very, very strong, more than just about anybody else. Um, the other thing is his style of broadcasting was very consistent and it was very radio. He really did go into people's homes with his conversational radio um, and that 
that struck me all the time. Now, you, you did ask me about, in my role as manager of the service, well, the strongest things about that were his, his dedication, his commitment. Neville, Neville broadcast as, as one of us, as a member of the blindness and vision impaired community who understood what radio could do and really stretched it. And he would have made a lot of friends over the airways that way. And to conclude the program, John Simpson mentioned that Neville was awarded the David Blythe Award in 2003. Let me read you the citation. To Neville Kerr, in recognition of his outstanding contribution as a pioneer in radio for the print handicap broadcasting and programming, as an innovator in the use of radio to meet the information needs of blind people, and as the producer and presenter of over 1,000 editions of BCA's national radio program, Horizons. I'm sure you will agree, an outstanding effort. In this week's program, we've been recognising and celebrating the life of Neville Kerr, who died last week at the age of 82. If you'd like to contact Blind Citizens Australia, you can call 1800 033 660. 1800 033 660. Or you can email bca at bca.org.au. That's bca at bca.org.au. I think this week it's appropriate to give the last words to Neville Kerr. I'm Neville Kerr, and if the good Lord's willing and the creeks don't rise, I'll join you again soon. We'll achieve the realization of a dream. Of our dreams